Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. This episode is a little bit different from normal. We did an interview with Eric Watkins on video a couple of years ago. There was a lot of response and we had some requests to turn it into a podcast. So we did that and this is part of that interview. You may notice a note of odd music or two as we splice the interview together. If you haven't watched the video on the website or it's been a while, give it a listen for many helpful topics as we jump right in. Eric, the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in St. Augustine, and you're actually kind enough to host the church planting conference over here. We're glad you'll take some time and, uh, and talk to us. Yeah, happy to do it. So Eric, um, you've now planted two churches, uh, both here in Florida, one of them a mother-daughter church, this one more of a, uh, sending you into an area where we didn't have a core group. Uh, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on Given that experience, how does that flavor your view of outreach, developing a culture of outreach for the church, helping people think more outward about things, particularly, you know, I'm thinking about an instance here coming to St. Augustine without, you know, a big core group and needing to do that. How has that time in those years affected that, changed that, worked that out? Sure. I think if I ever write a book on church planning, which I will not, the title of it, though, I do uh, have in mind, which is All the Things I Did Wrong. And I just kind of feel like thinking about reflecting on a you know, long number of years of church planning, it's almost easier to think about what I did wrong than it is what I did right. And the amazing thing is that God was gracious and that there are still churches uh, there and uh, thriving. Uh, two pretty different scenarios. The first church plant was a mother-daughter church where we took a pretty mature group from an existing congregation, and uh, the daughter church would be about 30 minutes uh, on the other side of town with some kind of natural psychological barriers like a downtown and an expensive highway with tolls to get across. And so we started a daughter church over there, and uh, the families that began that work were committed to the mother church and to the OPC. And so it was sort of natural chemistry and organic to just begin a daughter church. Some pretty unique features about that was we began with morning and evening worship and weekly communion from day one, um, which I think sent out a very strong signal to people in the area who were reformed that we were too, and that's what we were going to stand for. And uh, the Lord used that, I think, to draw people um, to us. It also, I think, created, at least for me, a somewhat limiting uh, schedule or job description, because I went from preaching twice a month as an associate pastor to twice a Sunday as a church planner, <clears throat> and with that, doing the bulletin, and you know, my wife and me, you know, whereas before we had a secretary and then just the administrative stuff, and it was, it was hard. And you know, looking back at it, I think in some ways it played to a certain strength. I love preaching quite a bit. Uh, it may have slightly uh, stymied another strength, which is outreach and evangelism. I think over the years I've just really become more comfortable in my own skin that that's something I really love to do and kind of feed off the energy that comes from talking with non-Christians about uh, things of the faith. Uh, so when we came here to St. Augustine, this was a pretty crazy scenario in that we were called to come up to an area and begin a church where there really was not a core group waiting for us. Uh, there was very little by way of families who were committed. And so largely it was come up and kind of start from scratch. And it struck me quite strongly when we made the transition up here that, uh, that I was being called not to be a pastor, but I was being called as an evangelist. In our form of government, when we call a church planner, he's an evangelist. And though that had been the case in the first church plant, I don't think in my mind or in reality 
the highlight was on evangelist. I felt more like a generic pastor, whereas when I moved here, it was very clear there were no people, very few people to pastor. There was not a church regularly meeting, and so we came up and just began to do, well, first of all, I had a 14-month-old and a newborn baby boy, and so we came up, took a month off, and uh, then began to do, I say we, really myself, uh, began to do evangelism, making friends, trying really hard to make good friendships with neighboring pastors here, not only Napark pastors, but the Baptist guy, the Lutheran guy, the evangelical free guy, many of whom to this day are <clears throat> really good and fantastic friends of not only mine, but my wife's as well. Uh, so those relationships became pivotal. Uh, we were invited into community with people from some of these churches, even had pastors that come alongside and literally uh, offered to help in the effort of church planning. Um, you know, I tend to think now perhaps even more clearly about evangelism than I did then, which is kind of an as-you-go approach rather than a street preaching, <clears throat> excuse me, street preaching paradigm or EE or something like that. I'm not really a program guy. It's if I go surfing, I make friends with people and try to talk with them if I get a chance to. If I take my kids to the grocery store and look really clumsy as I'm trying to find something on the aisle and I'm, I'm here but I'm supposed to be over there and some lady takes mercy on me and you know, tries to help me find my way through and your kids are beautiful and yeah, God gave us these wonderful kids and you know, we're so thankful and just start to talk about life and those become little opportunities to share the gospel, or just make friends and invite people maybe to come to our church or our Bible study. So when we moved here, we began, uh, after about a month, a Bible study that went from a couple families to about 30 to 40 people in a month, maybe 50 to 60 people in three months. And five months after moving here, uh, we gathered uh, 100 people for our first worship service. So it's very clear that God did this, and he had a desire for us to be here, and it really played to my strengths. It also reinforced uh, the need for me to think about evangelism and outreach because that was my job description. That's what the uh, members of our home missions committee that were overseeing my work just really wanted to see me focus on. And then in time, it developed more of a pastoral focus. But at the beginning, it was all about evangelism and outreach. And looking back at it, that's just something I really love to do and God was pleased to prosper. Yeah, good. How, how do you translate that into then people coming into the group and being a part of this new church plant and you know it's your calling you're paid to do it they're busy they're raising families they may be intimidated by it how do you how do you help sort of shepherd them toward a more outward facing thing and and create a church culture that doesn't just put it on you or you and an elder but but helps people not just force them but help them to, to, to want that and to, to see that? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say a, a couple of thoughts. One is when we got started here, <clears throat> there were people that got excited about it. And there is a genuine sense in which if you love a few people pretty well, that love will spill over into people who they love. And that, you know, it's kind of like a happy customer is the best form of advertising. It's a business mantra, but it is one that's true. If people are really satisfied at a restaurant, <clears throat> they're probably going to tell a friend the next day. If they really enjoy a movie the night before, they're, they're going to talk about it. And something similar happens in the church. If people have a sense of there's something here to be excited about, uh, they want to tell that. Um, without, I think, cultivating like evangelism guilt, we were able to cultivate a mentality that said, <clears throat> Eric's the church planner, but I'm not the only one planning the church. 
And so from the very beginning, uh, we cultivated the idea of the whole group was this, this is something we're going to do this work together. Um, only later would some of the books that have been written recently on evangelism or become more popular about cultivating a culture of evangelism. Uh, I think that in my mind that was present, even though I couldn't have said it nearly as articulately as some have. Also, it's fair to say, too, you know, every church plant is unique in the sense of where it is and even state to state, there are little nuances. North Florida, we're in St. Augustine, Florida, and, you know, and in Florida you go north to get to the south and you go south to get to the north. So here in this area, strongly influenced by Bible Belt mentality, uh, even uh, some of the good things that we find in our Baptist friends, like a zeal for the gospel. So whereas the theology might have been thin and wide, and even ecclesiology might have been thin and wide, when it comes to sharing the gospel, that's almost like the genuine mark of piety for many you know, broad evangelicals and Baptists. So immediately they were in the group, those who not only had a zeal for some of the things that we were studying and would later embody, but I think a zeal to share the gospel, an excitement to see me doing it, maybe even do it with me. Uh, I think there were people who, if I said, look, you know, just so you know, kind of keep this quiet, but we're reformed and you know, we, we don't really do a lot of evangelism, they would have said, see you later. <laughs> And it's true. <clears throat> there is a real zeal, not just to be uh, deep and reformed and all that kind of stuff, but to be you know, outward-facing and evangelistic. And so it kind of created a two-front opposite of war, a two-front excitement. Ecclesiology is high. Our zeal for the gospel and the lost is high. And you know, I've prayed that the Lord would always help me, that he would help me remain genuinely in my heart loyal to both, a high view of the church and love for the church, but a real regard for the lost as well, and the fact that I can't reach everybody, right? I mean, even if I spend all my hours in a week, you know, a soccer mom in church has a circle of life that I can't break into, and that's true of everyone. And so if people view their lives as kind of as being lived out on stage before a watching world where both their words and their deeds mean something, and if we, without being forceful or manipulative, at the same time are looking for opportunities to talk about, you know, you talk to a mom who's struggling in her marriage or with her kids, and yeah, I struggle with mine too. And I'm so thankful for my church family. You know, I've got a pastor and elders that love us, and the people in our church our age that come alongside and care for us. And, you know, if you want to come visit sometime, we'd love to see you and have you guys over for lunch. I don't think that's too threatening. <clears throat> it's not the four spiritual laws, you know, it's... it's just, I think, a natural, honest way of saying I love our church and caring about the people that we talk to that might not have a church. And so just inviting them in uh, naturally. And so that sort of dynamic, I think, is kind of easy to cultivate, and it's not driven by pressure or program. Much credibility, not, we can't assume everybody's familiar with the church. We also know that any group can get accustomed to how they do things and forget what it's like to be an outsider coming in, not just church, but, but any group like that. But as a conscientiously reformed church, an OPC church, do you think about those things in terms of how you guys do Sunday? Do you think about how you can be more effective with the outsider that's coming in your doors? And, and if so, are there things that you actually do that you plan or that people are in charge of um, that help that, that help sort of escort the outsider in and, and have some sense of this new world that they're entering? Yeah. <clears throat> so on the one hand, our church is just plain vanilla reformed in the sense that 
You know, I mean, there's, there, we're not imbibing a church growth movement sentiment or mentality that's willing to sacrifice the theological identity of the church on the altar of church growth. And sadly, I think it's the case, to be a bit provocative, I could almost say I feel like evangelism has killed the church. Because in the name and for the sake of evangelism, well-meaning evangelical Christians have been willing to sacrifice the theological identity of the church on the altar of evangelism. And so evangelism becomes a trump card for almost every kind of uh, expression that's out there. And I think there's problems with that. I also think that there's a genuine sense in which the healthiest way to look towards the church's future is to stare down carefully the church's past. There really is nothing new under the sun. It's cliche and true that those who forget their history are going to repeat it. And so much of what we stand for as Protestant Christians are embodied in the faith once and for all delivered in the saints in the time-tested historic creeds and confessions of the church. So in my mind, the healthiest version of a church is one that actually looks familiar to the pages of church history, not one that was microwaved 15 minutes ago when a couple of guys got together, declared themselves a church in spite of the fact they have no education, ordination, and you know the, the, the charismatic nature of the church today, I think is more postmodern now than it is charismatic. Charismatic at least says it comes from God, but I think today much that's really taking place is postmodern in the sense of generational narcissism. We have literally divorced ourselves from the past. I find this embodied very often even expressions of the church where there's only one generation represented. Like I hear repeatedly from young church planning friends of mine in the area that their church is all a single age group and they're typically targeting millennials. So for the sake of evangelism, they've in a sense kicked wisdom out the back door while walking 20-somethings in the front door. And somehow this is okay. I'm saying this is very not okay. And I think one of the things that's beautiful about uh, the Reformed faith is we have a high view of not only the family, we have a high view of the church family that did not start with us and our generation. I think this is also why you're actually finding a lot of millennial converts coming into the conservative, uh, historically-minded expressions of Christianity because they're looking for depth, they're looking for authenticity, and they are suspicious of something that was literally microwaved and cooked up yesterday. Uh, so for many, it panders to the high experience, hey, we're doing something cool and creative. But I think for those who are looking, and there are many who are, uh, they want to know, this has a trail that I can look back and say, you know, this, this is true. Truth cannot be invented. It must be inherited. So the church, which is the pillar and buttress of truth, has to be that which is inherited, including our paradigms of worship, sacraments, the way we think about family, gender, race, all these things have to meander down a historical trail that comes from a biblical font, or in my mind, the whole thing is suspicious. And I think you would see, uh, though it might not be said exactly that way, I think you would see in the various generations that have come to covenant, many of which don't have reformed backgrounds, by the way, they're looking for truth and a real genuine sense of encounter with God through the word of truth. And so those things, I think, are actually creating a wonderful platform for churches like ours to not only reach the lost, but remain faithful to the truth. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. 
Until then, we'll see you next episode.